0: Hey, this is Tom Kundert from portugal.net, and you're listening to the Celesteau Podcast. Simões, bending one for Torres. Xabi, oh my word! Have you ever seen anything like that? Jogado por Simão, a passar por dois adversários, Simão, a tentar ofuscar o Figo, fico.
1: And we welcome you to episode number 55 of the Celeste Sound Podcast. I am your host, Danny Pinto. We are, of course, uh, great partners with Portugal.net and uh, loving the relationship we continue to have with Tom Cundert and his team. And uh, we have reached uh, a pivotal, pivotal point in not only, um, you know, this, uh, you know, qualifying for the World Cup, but in the, you know, maybe uh, future of this uh, national team as we, we presently have it. Uh, and we will uh, get it started right here in previewing the most important match uh, of, uh, you know, in my memory uh, in terms of what it could mean for uh, the history and the future of, uh, of this national team. And, and we do so uh, by bringing in Alex Barker here. Alex is a, a European uh, football uh, journalist. Uh, you've uh, seen his work uh, in uh, Get French Football Now and also as a contributor to Breaking the Lines over uh, with Zach Lowy and his team as well. And he's kind enough to give us a bit of the Turkish perspective uh, and what uh, Celestin fans can uh, can uh, uh, you know look forward to in the opponent that we have Thursday at the, the Dragon. So Alex, uh, Danny Pinto here in the States. Appreciate your time, sir. How you doing?
0: Doing really good, thank you. That was, a, that was a lovely intro for myself. I was a little bit flattered coming on people's podcasts and they introduced me quite nicely. Thanks for that. <laughs> Well, I mean, as
1: as the Euro expert, I mean, I, I guess you kind of you kind of have to live up to that uh, that intro, I guess. Oh, but
0: it's it's used more of a stick to beat me with now. Any time, anytime, anytime, <laughs> it's a, anytime anything goes wrong, Euro quotes expert over here.
1: <laughs> well, listen, you're not the Euro perfectionist; you're the Euro expert. So you know, there these are these are your opinions and your opinions alone. And we appreciate your time on episode 55 here of the Celeste podcast. So. Uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, you know, Fernand Sanche, uh is on uh, very shaky ground. Obviously, uh, he called his roster on Thursday uh, with uh, some surprises on uh, at a few key areas. Uh, most notably, I think the one that st- stands out for me is uh, Jose Sa not even getting called up. Uh, as, as one of the three keepers, uh, I, I could see already with, uh, your, uh, your expert, uh, satire, satire laugh there. Uh, what did you think of the roster that, uh, for has, uh, has called up and, uh, uh how about, uh, you know, some of the omissions, uh, that I feel that are kind of glaring, especially that you saw one, uh, what's your take on the roster as we go into Thursday's game?
0: I haven't got it in front of me, so you have to talk me through more of it. But I'll off memory. But the Sar one is incredible. I can't believe that. I mean, I, I, I know Rui is still backed by so many Portugal fans. Uh, but my opinion is just that I, I think for his age, he's doing so well. Sounds like an insult, but I don't mean it as one. He's doing pretty well as he is. But I was, I was literally just watching uh, Roma Lazio And there was such a tame... Luis Alberto shot that when he's direction it was so near him and a bit he made it look so hard to save so yeah, i just look at him now and i think you're in the past pretty much i, I, I think i think you you're waning down what is the harm in bringing up Jose Sarr who's got two things one good ability and what you want in a keeper is confidence and i don't sure. have you got have you got a keeper that's more confident than Jose Sarr, i don't think so
1: yeah, the uh, the other uh, uh keepers that were called up were uh um Diogo Costa and then obviously Anthony Lopes. Uh you know, Diogo Costa I think has a, a great claim to being on the on the roster. He's been the uh the Portuguese keeper of the month playing for uh for Porto um numerous times and uh you know, Anthony Lopes still doing well at Lyon. Uh they're not world beaters at the moment, uh but you know, I it, I don't think I, I, I think your your head would tell you that you just want to take the guys who are in form, um, especially at such a critical time when it's the ability to, or the opportunity, I should say to finally punch your ticket to the world cup or not. Um, he has been such a stellar, stellar representative for this national team. Has we, we call him St. Patrice, St. Patrice in, uh, because of uh, the final in 2016, but as as i think a lot of fans on the portuguese side have have kind of shown is that we are we are grateful but we are also ready to take that next step if the next step is you know saying goodbye to a player who may not be in form and you know jose sa has been arguably if not the best keeper in the premier league one of the best i would say top 3 i think you make a very very safe argument there and in arguably the best league in the world how you don't take a keeper who has has experience in your national side, not a lot, but he's been he's been on numerous call ups, but to kind of just start making that next step, uh, I think is one of the the biggest head scratchers for this national team so far, uh, or with this call up heading into these uh, potentially two important matches for the national team.
0: Yeah, I I've refreshed myself a bit. Uh is maybe remember the point of I was going to make since Portugal kind of. They've actually done a similar thing to Turkey. What they've done recently seems to be, at Belgium as well. Um, the three big national teams I've seen have like they've uh, selected inwards, which is quite interesting because I think it's tempting to just pick your best players no matter what. And we might pick Kose Sar, but I was looking at the Portugal. I'm just have got Diogo Costa in there from Port- uh, Porto, right? Inacio mm-hmm. from Sporting, Nunes from Sporting, and Turkey have done a similar thing over. A uh, lot since their new manager's coming, in, which we'll talk about. Where different play playing a lot more players who are playing in the Turkish Super League, uh, and they, the other players are still getting called up, like Cengiz Under and uh, Soyuncu, etc. But they're not necessarily playing. And Belgium have done a similar thing as well. So that's quite an interesting trend to uh, comment on.
1: Well, let's let's go ahead and focus on that Turkish side as as we're talking to uh, Alex Barker here on uh, on episode number fifty five of the Celeste podcast. He's going to give us. A bit of a preview of what the selection can expect from uh, a Turkish side, Alex. That uh, up until uh, the last match day in their group, they had a chance to uh, win the group. Uh, they were behind, I think, by two points to the Netherlands heading into the final into the final match day. Obviously, needed to a, a victory and then a a, a Netherlands defeat. Um, but that did not happen. They are in. Uh, the playoff just like Portugal is just like uh, Italy is and North Macedonia in this four group in this four team group but um, you know in in talking with you um, a few times in on other podcasts uh you are very bullish on uh, this Turkish uh, Turkish side um you know the euros were not what you expected uh, for for Turkey but <laughs> they do they do have uh, you know a lot of talent on on this uh, on this Turkish side and what kind of, uh, well, one, what kind of team is coming to uh, Porto um, on Thursday to take on the Song, and what are the areas that uh, you think that they could maybe, um, you know, kind of
0: take advantage of uh, this Portuguese side? Okay, so I think this Turkey team, it would be tempting to say, you know, that they've turned a the finger around from the Euros. is a big revolution. I think I find it more interesting in that there hasn't been so much I mean, the only way we could really talk you through it and the squad is going all the way back so yes people like me morons like me were bullish on turkey going into euro 2020 but
1: Ex- experts like you the sir. experts
0: experts of course but <laughs> there, there were fair groundings there was a reason why there were mainstream journalists writing about turkey and wondering could this thing go far because they had a very good qualifying campaign they topped their group they had a very good defensive record. It, they only really fell apart at the Euros, and the Euros was such a small sample size—only three games for them. And Italy, Wales, Switzerland. No, no doubts. They were the worst team at the tournament by far. They, they were horrible to watch. But this wasn't a team who were uh, down in the pits at the end of like an international cycle. You know, big rejig needed, and everything. In fact, they stuck with their manager Sinan Gunesh uh, up until I think it was the. Uh, in September, they played two games in World Cup qualifying and they lost 6-1 to the uh And th- then they brought in a new manager called Stefan Kunst, who's been uh, a name you should carefully pronounce by. The way, has Absolutely. been Absolutely. With uh, <laughs> Mr. Kunst has been with uh, German youth sides. He's reached three, I think under 21 uh, German national championship, uh, German uh, European championships. So he's been working in that setup. He's, a former German international and he's played in Turkey as a player and he was also uh, approached by Bundesliga sides. So this is slightly more of an upcoming coach. Uh, he, he's take, he took a big job in September and I think he is pretty much unbeaten. Uh, he's only really had one major test in my book, the 1-1 draw with Norway in World Cup qualifying and that was his first game which is fair. But to go and sort of the personnel side and the tactical side really, want won't talk a bit about my, a bit more but Turkey in the Euros in their undoing was they played like a a four three three like a but with one DM, and it meant that they were just got at in transition so easily. All Kuntz has really done is kind of sort of swapped some players around. I've mentioned like he, he swapped out some Turkish Super League players in for maybe more established players like Soyuncu, and made it a four two three one and put a bit more of a defensive. Solity in midfield. That's really the only thing that's majorly changed. You're kind of expecting a similar sort of Turkey side. And a team that still has players, the ones that have been called up on my, my right side, we've got Demarau at the back. Zeki Celik from Lille's had a pretty good season. Enesu now, Hatafé, who's got 14 goals this season in La Liga. Very good. Burak Hilmes, of course, who we might talk about a bit more. Yusuf Yazici. Uh, Chalan Okulu as well, the big one. Anunda, who's had a great season at Marseille. So there are definitely players like damages portugal side in this team
1: yeah and and let's talk about well, you you mentioned barak yilmaz uh he led the the team in in scoring during uh world cup qualifying he had 5 uh, the turkish side in 10 games in qualifying scored 27 goals which i mean is is a great uh output um in qualifying um but the thing that that uh, in in researching them a little bit that i uh kind of you know kind of took a step back and, and, and thought that it, this might be an issue for, for Portugal is, you know, Yilmaz had five, they had three players with three goals and then they had four players with two goals. So it's not, they're not dependent on just one or two guys or just the striker, uh, like so many teams. Uh, and you can argue Portugal is, is one of those teams as well, um, to get goals and to get, uh, output from, uh, on, on the attacking side. So, um, that's one thing that uh, kind of uh, you know stood out for me in researching a little bit what Turkey can bring. But um, you know, uh, what, on what's your take on how they attack and how they could attack uh, this uh, this Portugal defense?
0: So I think in these one-off games, this is the best sort of place for Yilmaz to shine, and what we might see is a little bit more aggression from the front. And they, they previously did manage to do this uh, last, uh, in the last uh, Euros qualifying. I think, I think it was when they, my being sorry, World Cup qualifying played in the Netherlands and they really pinned them back. It was fascinating to watch them press really high. And Yilmaz recently played for Lille against Chelsea and he successfully managed to do this as well, albeit doing it for the first 25 minutes and taking sort of 10-minute breaks really. So it's like you might you might sort of see that aspect. I think what's quite eye-catching about the attack code, depending on who does play because it's been shifted around a little bit and like Norway are the closest team we've seen to Portugal's level so we don't know exactly how conservative uh, Kunstful's set, uh, set up but you've got a lot of creative players who are in good form. I think Under's a very dangerous player at the moment he's gone a little colder at Marseille recently but he's kind of shown evidence of being quite both footed, like being able to take any player on the inside or the outside. And he's had a few goals this season just cutting in and shooting that's I found it in in Liga and quite dangerous. Yazichi will be an interesting one as well. He's just moved from Lille to CSKA Moscow, which is a move he might be regretting. But Yazity <laughs> he played his debut recently. He did score straight away. He's flown with confidence. So he's another one who's uh it's just one of those places, where you're very well technically rounded. It's not overly, he's not great at particularly anything, but he's good at most things. And it's another one you kind of just don't really want to give space in and around the box because he could uh, bury a shot. So I think what you should expect is a quite a bit of technical ability, maybe a bit of aggression, but possible times and places in the defense, maybe where you can exploit them. So. We you look at the way
1: Turkey could uh, approach the, the this Portuguese side, and we're talking with Alex Parker here of, of uh, the Euro expert here on episode number 55 of the Seleson podcast. Uh, Alex, of course, is a, uh, a European football journalist uh, working for GFFN uh, and uh, breaking the lines uh, um, amongst other places, but... Um, you know, I don't want it to be all doom and gloom here on on the Portugal side because it it just it does feel like it's it, there's a, a negative vibe to uh, this national team at the moment because they're in the playoff they shouldn't be in the playoff. A lot of people think. Obviously, a lot of uh, of of the blame is is right now being uh, thrown at the feet of uh, Fernando Sanchez. I I completely understand it, and I. We'll shovel as much of blame to him as I can, but there is the possibility that this team still wins, uh, beats Turkey, and still beats either Italy and the North Macedonia, and gets to the World Cup. So, uh, I want to take a positive uh, approach from you, or get an, a positive outlook from you, in terms of what Portugal can do, in terms of what Tur- how Turkey sets up defensively, and what uh, what the song can do um, and could possibly do against that uh, that Turkish back line.
0: So it's a good question. I think I've got a clear answer straight away. I mean, we should say as well, tactically, they're not going to be able to do too much sort of advance because it's an international team. But really, you sort of see them sit back into more of a deep, deep to mid block, four at the back and the four midfielders dropping in. Um, uh, but across the defence, you look at the right hand side, you've got Zeki clair of Lille, who's used to playing against high level opposition. Uh, especially speedy and physical players, so probably the most suited there. And at the back, you still have out most likely starting. Uh, playing, I still think at Juventus at the moment. I think he's had his injury issues, but we see that it could be top quality. The issue, really, I think, is possibly at left back and maybe left centre back. You've got uh Can cana Erkin and it's Aziz Serdar Aziz there, and they're two uh Turkish league players. I remember. I think it was Erkin in the Euros. I wasn't particularly impressed by, it. and the Turkish Super League as well. It, it, it's it's hard to comment on it because I've not been. I, you're going to be different to me, Danny. Over in Europe at the moment, or in the UK at least, we literally cannot watch even highlights unless we're going to find legal. Yeah, I read. Races. I read
1: that a couple of days ago. It's like you can't even find. You can't find it anywhere.
0: Yeah, so it's like I, I imagine if you guys have. If you if you guys watch Premier League, you probably have ESPN, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So it's like imagine if ESPN was Europe's broadcaster of Turkish football, but ESPN was blocked in the UK, and no one else had rights to Turkish football. So I'm going <laughs> off. I'm going off things like legally I've seen and bits of from the past as bits yeah, from the past absolutely. as well. And it, yeah, and the Turkish Super League basically isn't the highest standard. It's a very slow league. So I think you can be very caught out by some top-level top level opposition. And that's why we're sort of targeting that left-hand side. And also, like I said, we haven't seen them at the toughest opposition. I think they were quite good against Gibraltar and Montenegro when they won 2-1. But in the Euros, the midfield and front unit were guilty of slacking and not getting back. And maybe Kuntz, who's had quite a different managerial career than Gunes who was quite an old sort of yeah, a bit more like arm around the shoulder guarding it like Ancelotti style where for Kunt seems a, a bit more has a bit more of a philosophy maybe he's not going to let that happen but yeah in the Euros there were big spaces opening up and there was a lot of time and space for teams to counter-attack them so something else I think Portugal could probably exploit
1: yeah counter-attacking is is a big uh you know, a, a big piece of the formula or it has been at least with, uh, with this national team under, under for You, you mentioned Alex that Turkey made a, a change, uh, at the managerial position and it's kind of, kind of swayed things around in, in a positive way, uh, for this Turkish side. They, well, you know, they had the opportunity of uh, one of four teams in this group to get to the world cup. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, Portuguese fans, myself included, uh, have been asking for a change uh, at the managerial uh, spot for for this national team for a few years now. and uh, you know one of the things that i've that I've mentioned before on this podcast is that, uh, the equity of 2016 or uh, yeah, the equity of 2016 is gone in terms of nonsense <laughs> and 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 something that you know, I've I've heard recently and it wasn't even attributed to Fernand nonsense, but I, I kind of it, it just I've used it in conversations with friends of mine and, and other folks is that, uh, you know, uh, if a hero stays long enough, he can sometimes become the villain. And what is happening to Fernand Sanchez, especially if this team does not make it to the World Cup, is that I don't think his, his time here uh, is going to be looked at as positively as it could have been given how it really started by saving this team from what was a, an awful kind of uh, environment towards the end of Paul Bento's uh, you know, uh, reign, coming in in 2014, getting this team to, uh, to the European Championship, and winning it in 2016, that's something we'll always be grateful for. But you, you don't have a great 2018 in the World Cup. You finish second twice in consecutive qualifying groups. Uh, and these qualifying groups have been, on paper, very manageable to win in terms of the quality that this team has. Um, my long-winded soliloquy here is just to ask you, someone who's not Portuguese, someone who isn't a Portugal supporter. What is what is? I guess the rest of the world of football. How do we, how do they perceive Sanchez? How do they perceive this Portuguese team in terms of the predicament
0: that they have themselves in right now? It sounds. It seems the exact same as Joachim lowe at Germany, where you've got someone who's bought themselves so much credit and then done almost nothing with it, and it's all. It just feels like a ticking time bomb of. When are they going to give an excuse big enough for us to fire him? And like that is the exact same thing with Lowell. Like, I, I think of Joaquin Lo now, and I don't think of the guy who won the 2014 World Cup. I think of the guy who bombed the 2018 one, the guy who, had, who was firing players off, like saying to Hummels and Muller, you're out of the team now, and with a few months after the Euro saying, actually, you should come back because we're so bad. That's the sort of vibe I'm getting from uh, Fernando Santos or Santos Sanches, Sans? Santos, is it?
1: You know, it depends on where you are in the world and how how you speak Portuguese. Santos is fine.
0: Fernando Santos. We'll call yeah. him that because I'm British and we pronounce names in a British <laughs> way. Uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, for him as well, I think his issue is in the play style, right? Like, he, this is the thing, especially in the modern the modern age, and it's a I think that Mourinho and Another Portuguese man, uh, Nuno, has, uh, has fallen victim to recently. Where if you win at all costs, if that's if that's your game plan, it, it's the you're not going to play attractive football. You're going to sort of grind out wins. You better make sure you grind out wins. Otherwise, no, you've got nothing left to be happy about. Like if Pep Guardiola, uh, very very big high standard, but a City lose a game of football, they're still probably going to be looked at and go. Oh, did this great thing and playing such a positive way. There's nothing fun about a Portugal team losing uh, in the way that they're I've seen them play recently. I've not seen it as much as you but their sort of dogged way. And I, I just think of I I think maybe this is the biggest thing. I think of Euro twenty sixteen and I still think Portugal play like that, except their quality is now one of the best in Europe. Like you've had Ronaldo it's still in good, strong years. You've got Jao Felix, you've got Diogo Jota, yeah, and you've got Bernardo Silva as well. Diaz, world class players, but maybe a, a top level manager who wants to dominate. That that's the right way forward, and not be stuck in the the twenty sixteen mindset, which is what it feels like from an outside point of view.
1: Yeah, and honestly, it's it's a spot on point of view because that's a lot of what we as fans of this national team are kind of feeling like, where it's like. You know, I, I, it was a, you know, it was a bend but don't break kind of approach. It was a, you know, if we're getting the results, don't matter if it's, you know, pretty, you know, three points or three points. I get all that. The, the game that uh, and the match that it turned, it's turned it all upside down for us. Was the match against Germany in, uh, in the Euros? Mm. Absolutely dominated from start to finish, and not really an answer, even though they opened up the scoring. Uh, with the uh, with uh, with Ronaldo getting that uh, that opening goal from uh, from Diogo Jota or do I have that backwards anyway it doesn't matter but uh, it, it just never felt like they were ever going to be able to uh, stand up to that barrage of that German attack and you know the, people were calling for his job in the middle of the tournament because of that mm-hmm. result and obviously, that's that would be a, a tough pill to swallow to make a change at the tournament. But then it's like, okay, we still have World Cup qualifying again—a very manageable group. Uh, yet you put all your eggs in the in your basket to play at home against Serbia, where a win gets you to the world uh, gets you to the World Cup. And in and I I hit this all uh, in any in with any uh, people I talk with that match. At, uh the Stadio de Luge at benfica's stadium that was the first sellout crowd since the pandemic that this national team had played uh, uh, played in front of um at home and it like it had all the markings of all right we're gonna do it and it's gonna be this the the struggle that it is but we're gonna save it to the final game but we are gonna get in the 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 game opens up with uh, with hanat Sunch. Uh, getting that goal early on, and then it's just let's sit back, no attack. We can we can we can hold we can hold at least one goal, and then of course Mitrovic with the second goal at the end sends the Portuguese national team to where they are now. And I would think at that point, you would say enough's enough. But yet here you are, <laughs> and he's still the manager, and it's that's the thing that's just been driving us fans uh, from Portugal crazy is that it just seems that we're hanging on to something that is so far in the past in terms of how we played in 2016 to the players that we have now. And it's just not... Uh, and I'm not getting emotional. I just have something oh, in my throat. I was <laughs> uh, It just seems, It just seems like this federation is just hell-bent on making it work with nonsense right now instead of trying to find the next guy to lead us. Uh, into this uh, next generation
0: of uh, uh, of talented players. I was going to say, I think the to look at it from a big picture thing because I see I see a lot of parallels with this. I think a fair it was sound weird, but I think the moment uh, Fernando Sanchez uh, was doomed was um, when he won the Euros. Because you think about it you you can play you can get away with playing that. Foot, that style of football, grind it out, low scoring, because you're underdogs and you haven't won. Like you haven't, I can't figure last time you, Portugal had won a Euro or so, a World Cup. I'm not sure if you had, uh, not definitely not a World Cup. No,
1: no, they, that, that was their first international trophy. At the exactly. Your senior level, yeah.
0: So it's like you, you can get away with grinding it out because what, if someone's going to come along and say, we should be winning this, you've not won anything before. So you've got an excuse to play that underdog football it's the exact same thing we've had with England and the moment uh the moment Portugal won something it's like a switch flips and now you you have an excuse to be like well we should be winning this we've got the players to win we've won something before why can't we be more dominant and in our country this is where we're getting it with Gareth Southgate I'm personally someone who's definitely flip-flops but I'm quite firmly on the side of Southgate now but it is like in the in the twenty eighteen World Cup and the Euros, he played the exact same style of football. Twenty eighteen World Cup, lauded as a hero, naming like train stations after him, songs after him. He's an absolute god.
1: Was he not supposed to be knighted if they won the World Cup?
0: I think so. Yeah, we were meant to have days off and everything. I mean, <laughs> would be fair, but that he got to the semi-finals, right? And even after the semi-finals, it was he's great. He's a god. There are people saying now. He should have won the Euros. He should be sacked, and it's it's, it's purely because we've lived through so many decades of England. Uh, can I swear? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. England are shit. We lose absolutely everything. Oh my god, we've got a World Cup semi-final. We're amazing. That means we should win the Euros. We haven't won the Euros. That is crap. We need to get him out. And you've kind of got that same pattern with uh, Portugal, I think, and Belgium. Roberto uh, Martinez. Like you get close to winning things, you've got these players. Oh. Why are you not winning things now? Ah, uh, you've not done you've not done good enough.
1: Yeah, and they've been they've been ranked uh, by FIFA at number one for years in terms of Belgium. Like at least this it's a long run, yeah, uh, for Belgium and and understandably so. Like you you see the talent that is on that team, uh, but that team is you know just to get off on a, on a Belgium tangent, they they're at I would say, I think they have this this World Cup left uh, for this group of players uh to get something out of this uh this generation that they had that had been so lauded um but uh but yeah it's it's interesting to, it's the best the best see. way you
0: can the best way you can describe this belgian team and how long they've got left and the generation they're playing and the players are playing is thomas van Marlin is still getting selected <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way you can sum it up
1: yeah that uh, that from Verme- that from uh, Adder- and uh and Vertonghen back 3 is something to behold uh, still <laughs> at uh at this age. Uh Alex real quick uh before we uh, before we let you go we obviously want to uh, and and before we uh do that here uh you can follow Alex on uh, on Twitter. Uh you can see the right on the scroll as I do this I don't know what I'm doing left to right
0: right. I love it. Left. I love it.
1: He's uh, he's at uh, euroexpert_ um, you have a newsletter that uh, people can subscribe to uh, as well. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you became the Euro expert, obviously, uh, and then uh, and then how one uh, can sign up for your newsletter and follow you on uh, on social media.
0: Well, as someone who watches a lot of Liga Nosh, I feel like you'll likely answer. Uh, it's my in, in the UK we obviously got the Premier League, the best league in the world. But everyone seems to think every other league is rubbish and no one pays any attention to it. <laughs> so Chelsea, Chelsea have got Porto. Farmers will swipe them aside. Rubbish. And I looked at that and thought, you know what? We don't cover European football enough in this country. We don't we don't give it enough credit. And we just swipe it aside as, as if it's Sunday League. When actually, it's at a very high level and it deserves the coverage. And even if even if you're... Uh, an English fan who goes, I don't really care about that. You'll care about it when Bernardo Silva moves to uh, Manchester City and you go, who's he? And I can sit there and uh, tell you. And the newsletter, that's, I'm glad you brought that up, that's, um, that's all about it. You can subscribe to it and it, it's probably the best for UK audiences, but it should work either way, wherever across the world you are. Uh, yeah, it's is a TV guide for, the, uh, for any game that's on TV, pretty much. So, at all times, you can Get on Friday evening and say, "Oh, PSG play Monaco on Sunday." I might, I might tune into that one. Look, Lazio beat Roma as well. That's in the evening. That'll be great. And the whole idea is to get you away from watching Watford v. Norwich and watching <laughs> things that <are> a bit, <laughs> watching a bit more exciting.
1: <laughs> to all the to all the Watford and uh, and Villa Portuguese fans, uh, all three of them. Oh yeah, oh yeah, on both <laughs> sides. Uh, we, we apologize for uh, for Alex's outburst there, but. Uh, so, uh, I also see, uh, as we, as we wrap up here, cause we are recording on, uh, Sunday morning ish on, uh, in California. And then, uh, we're, uh, getting to the evening here, uh, in the UK. Uh, you've got your, uh, you've got your Real Madrid jersey on, obviously, mm. uh, a bit of a, a big match, I would say, uh, today as of the recording with, uh, with Real Madrid and Barca, Barca playing quite well lately and, uh, Real is always real what uh i guess give us your thoughts even though this like your thought on this match will be not heard in real time and it will be heard after the fact so we'll see how big of an expert you will be as this episode is reco- is released on monday but uh what are, you, what are your thoughts on the on the big uh the big real uh barca match uh coming up in just uh,
0: a few minutes here i will gonna play really safe and go one one draw all right, get, uh, the hell,
1: get the hell out of here, Alex. <laughs> <No.
0: laughs> Listen, I'm an extremely boring man, Danny. I like to get predictions right. And if you're saying I'm going to be proven right or wrong, uh, I have to go boring. But more expanded facts is, but, but I'll, I'll actually go out and say it. I got Chavi completely wrong. I, I looked at him and said, Your Barcelona have done a Barcelona thing, getting in someone because he's a legend and he's only managed, he's managed the best team in guitar and won the best tournaments in guitar, big whoop, uh, like, that says nothing of his ability, but credit to him. He's turned things around and you watch Barcelona. They're genuinely fun to watch. And it, you can sort of see that positional play that, uh, people rave about where it's very attractive on the eye. It's all easing up. And I've got around Madrid shirt on. Um, the real reason is because I traded a Chelsea shirt for it. Cause I don't want a Chelsea shirt. And, uh, i got this randomly. So I'm quite happy with it. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be when Ronaldo got about 70 goals, 11, 12, it would be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, because they are without knowledge there, but yeah, Real Madrid uh, still doing very good, but they're not as good as last season. So they'll win the league this year. Maybe next year, Barcelona could actually nick it from them.
1: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Barça coming in hot, so it's it'll be great to see always uh, that matchup. Uh, Alex, we can't thank you enough for joining us here on episode number fifty-five of the Celeste on Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, And that will do it here for episode number 55 of the Celeste Zone podcast. Again, make sure you follow Alex on Twitter at EuroExpert underscore. Uh, Again, uh, if you uh, go to his Twitter account, which is that account there, uh, make sure you click the link to subscribe to his newsletter so that you're not watching Watford v. Aston Villa because who wants to do that except for the three Portuguese listeners who we identified as? Uh, those those fans for for that match but uh, again you can follow us uh the podcast here uh, on Twitter as well at celeste on pod facebook.com slash celeste on pod uh, on instagram at celeste on pod email the show Cell pod at gmail.com and go to our website celeste on pod dot com uh, my name is You're everywhere Bento. oh yeah everywhere and, and anywhere even in Watford and in Villa so <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, my name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host uh, of episode 55 of the Celeção podcast, a very proud partner of Portugal.net. And as always, Força Portugal!